Greetings and salutations and welcome once again to the Capeless Crusaders live at the time from the digital safe house. I am here, just in case you were wondering, (laughs) I am the Azorian one, Anthony Esteves, and I am joined by a duo of dastardly, dynamic, I ran out of D's, awesome people. (laughs) First, First, I'm going to go with the Crusader's own Amazonian queen, and she is... Hello, this is Amy, I, Jane, you, Robot, on the varying social media platforms. I've missed you guys. Hey, missed what's you. up? Missed you. Welcome back. Bye-bye. And joining us as our special guest, he is the head of the Philosophers. You've heard his voice before, you've seen his face on this show, and he's back again. He is... Philosopher Eddie, here back from the Philosophers. Uh, this is a really interesting conversation we're going to have. I'm excited to be here, and uh, it's good to... See you guys in somewhat face to face because, uh, goddamn COVID. But uh, <laughs> it's good seeing you guys. It's good being on the show. We are delighted to have you. And yes, the topic today is right up your film philosophing almost alley. 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 Film philosophing alley. Film philosophing alley. All of. I, it, I need the job over there. I'm interning with them on the side while I'm at it. it, it, it is that a euphemism for my anus? Uh, just I mean, checking. I mean, it starts with an A. So, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, an, I think so. It's an, an alliteration of an alliteration. anus. That's, that's, that's going to be a special uh, special segment on our show from now on. Thank you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. And, of course, we, the Capeless Crusaders, are your number one, allegedly, rumored to be. Uh, number one. Number one. Pro- we probably are. We are. We are. Most podcast. I keep telling anything. people that, by the way. So. Exactly. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, for anything comic book related, and this episode, of course, is brought to you in part by the Nerdon Nation, powered by... Patreon. Patreon. The Nerdon Nation allows us to be the best we can be. As a member of Nerdon Nation, for as little as $1 to $5 a month, you get early access to episodes, a Discord community that is always hopping, bonus episodes, and so much more. Of course, check it out over at nerdon.io slash Patreon. <laughs> We're going to work on that for, uh, forever. We I don't are. care. I know. We are. And Patreon. also... Those of you who are listening to us on your favorite podcast app, please go and like the show, subscribe, leave a review. Let us know what you think about the greatness that is the Capeless Crusaders. And if you don't like us, don't do that. Don't review it all. Okay? <laughs> don't even consider it. Thank you. Just walk in the door and walk right just out. Just walk in and walk it. right turn, out. Just, turn just, around. Keep trekking. Just keep we, going. we appreciate your, your patronage, but mm-hmm. it's okay. But if you love us... Please like, subscribe, leave us a review, and leave a review for our brethren, our Potter and family over at Nerd On. Please let them know how you feel about their great topics going on. Now, today on the Chaos Crusaders, we are in episode 168. 168? Yeah, I know. I know. 168. Keep on. We're trucking through. We're trucking through. There you go. We are going to honor a legend in the film universe, a man who paved the way for so many others and mm-hmm. gave us amazing adventures that are classics and will live on forever. We, of course, are talking about the legendary Richard Donner, who passed mm. away. By the time you guys hear this show, it had been a couple weeks, um, but he passed away at the age of 91. So we thought we would honor him by having this entire show for him. So before that, it's time for us to uh, discuss what's going on in the news. Love that news music. And that's the news song. Da, da, da. <laughs> One day we're getting Jake Tapper on this show. I'm going to try. No. We got to no. get, no. get Jake Tapper. He's no. on our level of nerdum. We got to do this. Hi. All right. So first off on our two news stories we have today, we got some very happy news for a, uh, a figure who is very popular in the comic book adaptation world we're talking about the man you know as jeffrey dean morgan yep. known very Yay. well as negan currently on the walking dead or uh papa, some of you, papa or papa wayne papa winchester over papa on supernatural winchester. Uh, and hopefully papa wayne one of these days papa yes. wayne yes Come yes on, papa wayne uh denny on gray's anatomy uh mm-hmm. the comedian and Zack snyder's watchman mm. oh um, that's right 
He's done a lot of things, but right yeah, now a lot of things. he has mastered the role of being Negan on The Walking Dead, and that work is being paid off as he has been nominated has been nominated at the first annual Hollywood Critics Association TV Awards. Uh, he is nominated for his performance in the prequel episode titled "Here's Negan," which uh, tells the story of Negan and his wife Lucille and how they were affected by the zombie apocalypse that had taken place. Um, off the bat, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan has been just perfect at Negan. He, he took that role and just brought the evil of that character to life and the direction they've taken the character now where they're playing the whole, uh, evil guy who maybe now has been turned good, Mm -hmm. uh, five years later into the, into the future. Um, but he's just done from the minute he set foot in season seven or the season six finale and then the season seven uh, premiere, you just knew that this guy was going to kill it. And yeah. you know, we were all scared shitless watching him uh, play Negan. So it's good to see him. Yeah, I was, I wasn't, so I'm going to, I'm going to be kind of honest. I wasn't a big fan of this series. Mm-hmm. I love the comics to death. I yeah. absolutely adored them. I read every single one of them all the way from beginning to end. And Negan was one of those complex characters that, unlike other folks within the universe, not until you get later into the the uh, volumes with the Walking Dead comics, there's not much complexity to them. They're pretty straightforward. But mm-hmm. then you get to somebody like Negan, uh, aside from Rick, Negan is probably one of the most, if not the most complicated people within... Um, you know, that universe. Mm -hmm. And so when they mentioned, I remember when they announced it at Comic-Con that Jeffrey Dean Morgan was going to play that and uh, play that role. And at first I was like, well, uh, I don't watch the series anyway, so it doesn't really matter to me. But then you started seeing photos and you're like, oh my God, he looks just like the character. (laughs) And then you see him come out in the, in the show. And you're like, ever since that one episode where the, the infamous, you know, loss of Glenn um, you knew that they were going to toe that line of of how closely he's going to parallel his uh, his uh, comic book counterpart. Um, I have yet to see that particular episode mm-hmm. that he won the nomination for, that he got the nomination for. However, I remember in the comic books, and and at the time, that particular issue in terms of going into his backstory was years, 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 years prior to this episode dropping. Um, but I would remember, I would actually go to events, press events. I would go to uh, places and I would talk about how my my disdain for what they were doing with the comic, bo- uh, with the comic books translated into the show. And I would mm-hmm. always talk about the one issue where you actually get a chance to see Negan almost be human in, in that opening issue where he is burying his bat because it broke during one of the uh, one of the zombie outbreaks. And that whole first two, three pages are just, it's beautiful for mm-hmm. a character mm-hmm. so much as a, as represented as a monster. Mm-hmm. You create something like that and you give it a sense of like a silver lining, no matter how thin, and you're beginning to break molds for what you expect with uh, common villains, especially in zombie movies. If you're a bad guy, you're a bad guy until you get eaten. Mm-hmm. That's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, Seeing what Jeffrey Morgan has done, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and everything he's already accomplished within the role, I have no doubt that this role that he did in this particular episode was money, like mm-hmm. complete money, because I have yet to see him in any form on the series with the spattering of episodes I see where he does not fully embody what I envisioned all those years ago as Negan. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. He he nailed it. He he knocked out of the out of the park. Um, Amy, any thoughts on on JDM? He's a buddy of ours now. JDM. He's, uh, <laughs> he's awesome. Um, so as both of you know, and you like to harass me about continually, um, <laughs> I am not a big fan of horror in general. And, what? Oh, what? That's news to me. When did that yeah, start? Uh, what? I mean, there's a Twitch video of you watching Halloween. I don't know. What I you're mean, talking it about. was on it was on a list that somebody popped in and out of during my Twitch stream to watch me freak out. Nah. So watch me for the first ten minutes and then came back for the last twenty. That was me. And it was like, yeah. yeah, it was you. It was you. It was all you. <laughs> laughing and chuckling uh, to myself. That was that was an understatement. <laughs> um, but but so 
Um, I have read the first volume of The Walking Dead, which it's just, it's well written, but it's not my my flavor. Um, and so I know him as good Papa Winchester from Supernatural, um, which seeing the sequence when, uh, like, he was wonderful in that. I loved exactly what he brought to that to mm-hmm. that entire role um, with their 19. Did I get that right? 19 seasons of Supernatural? I think. 19? It's either like 15 or 19. It's a double digit. Um, when they just finished, like officially, but now there's a prequel. Hey. <laughs> yep. um, so we've got that coming. But uh, 15. 15. 15 seasons. There you go. Yeah. I couldn't Still remember. a lot. That's, yeah. Yeah. 15 years. Carry on my way with the sun. <laughs> there's a reason I did it. Um, but so in relation to Walking Dead, I remember seeing the initial reactions when Negan showed up. Um, with the survivors and Lucille was properly introduced mm. um, to our band. Memorably. Mem- mm-hmm. And Ooh. it was so, it, it's one of those moments much, and I, and I, I akin it to the, the reactions from the, the Red Wedding for Game mm-hmm. of Thrones, that sequence in uh, TV fandom history of Negan and Lucille and the survivors is imprinted in generations of people's mm-hmm. minds. Um, and if that impact from just that sequence was so amazingly received, I can only imagine him being humanized at any point and being able to have that backstory. It, it, it probably blew people's minds. Mm-hmm. So while I'm not a fan <laughs> outright of the series, I am a fan of the actor. So, congratulations. Look at you. You took it like a champ. She's talking to Glenn. Um, there you go. Yep. Oh, no. Oh. God, well, and, just he's looking right at him when he does. And the great like thing about champ. that episode is that everybody who knew the comics and knew that particular scene, they expected Glenn to be killed. They was It was all over. They were like, oh, is AMC going to do something unique? Are they going to try to, you know, switch it up? Mm-hmm. Or are they going to actually go according to... And and the, the, the very intelligent thing that AMC did and the creators behind the show is they not only did... They killed somebody first, mm-hmm. which was Abraham. Abraham made you think that Abraham was going to be the one. Exactly. But they still made good on what everybody had expected, which was killing Glenn. Oh. So... Uh, they're just the the way they're going about creating this character, and I'm anxious to see how it's going to wrap up because there's still um, I don't know if they've introduced uh, the alpha, and I don't know if they've introduced they have they they have they've okay gone there yep. So there's there's still a lot more that's that's left to traverse in in this universe, but I'm so anxious to try to see how they're going to continue to evolve the character that is Negan. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's it's gotten me more interested in the series ever since seeing him come into the fray and him. Nail it, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> nail, <laughs> nail the role and and get it down just right. Um, but yeah, this this uh, nomination is uh, is very much well deserved because if if there's anything that Jeffrey Morgan, De- Jeffrey Dean Morgan is known for, it's excellence. I mean, Thank every you. single thing that I've mm-hmm. seen him in in terms of films from bit roles on things like Rampage, he did an episode of CSI. Uh, his I comedian, his comedian is absolutely. Just- oh yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I, I, uh, I would have loved to have seen them in, uh, put him in that same universe on the uh, TV series Watchmen. Oh, my god. That would have gosh, been hilarious. That would have been bonkers. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the, that scene you're talking about, the, the, and not only that, he gets Abraham first, and then uh, Daryl comes out and socks Negan in the face. Yeah. And that hit is what makes Negan say, oh, Abraham's not enough. You haven't learned. And the whole time, the Jeffrey Dean Morgan's delivering his lines. You see Glenn over here just looking straight at um, uh, oh his wife. Oh, my God. Uh, Maggie. Uh, Maggie, thank you. Just looking at her the whole time. And Negan has Lucille. He's like, so where were we? And just swings and hits Glenn. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. oh, he's still going for Glenn. He's still doing it. And just the whole scene was done amazing. Um. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series. Oh, excuse me. He was previously nominated for Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Series at the Emmy Awards. Um, But he is nominated for his performance as a supporting actor for his part as Negan in the Here's Negan prequel, 
at the Hollywood Critics Association, its first annual. And also, uh, Eddie, thank you for mentioning Rampage, which has Rock, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and The uh, Rock, and Mr. <laughs> and Mr. Joe Manganiello. Okay, mm-hmm. two gentlemen my wife adores, Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Joe Manganiello, along with my boy. It was fantastic. Um, and also, side note again, he played William in P.S. I Love You. Mm-hmm. So he oh had these he had these moments where my wife loves him, Denny on Grey's yep. Anatomy, uh, William and P.S. I Love You. And then he became the comedian. And things changed regarding her and Very Jeffrey drastically. <laughs> Very drastically. <laughs> Still loves him, but, you know, wasn't the biggest fan of his characters toward the end. Uh, and Negan is on that list. So congratulations to JDM. If you ever hear this show, we are fans. Want to come on someday? Just throw it well, out there. And, and also don't mention, uh, don't forget to mention his uh, comic book entry into the uh, worldwide cinema aspect. And that was his uh, role in The Losers. Yes, you're right. He was in the losers. Good call. He was the, the main point guy. That's right. Ooh, look at that. Good deep dive. <laughs> with with a with a pre-Captain America Chris Evans. Mm-hmm. And oh no, wait, Scarlett Johansson was a different movie. My bad. Never mind. And Zoe Saldana. Thank you. That's what I was trying to. Zoe Saldana. Well, look at that. Before they were Marvel. Huh? There you Before go. they were Marvel. I like to do that with movies like uh uh Zodiac. In the movie mm-hmm. Zodiac, you get Mysterio, Tony Stark, and Bruce Spanner. In the same movie, in the David Fincher yep. flick. Um, was Losers before Fantastic Four? Ooh. Um, Losers was in 2010. So, in other words... So. Uh, it was post. Are you, so, talking about, are you talking about Fan Four Stick or Fantastic Four? Fan Four Stick. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You're right. It was post-Fantastic Four, but pre-MCU. So, in other... His actual entry, instead of his first time, his trip... Like over the threshold of the MC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like many, many a a good person who has tripped person. over their first and their first Michael B. Are we talking about Chris Evans or we're talking about Jeffrey Dean Morgan? <laughs> Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. <laughs> I was like, because then before that you had push too with Chris Evans. Yes. Yes. Which was another right. kind of power move. Yes. All right. So Speaking now of not of of other Sagu. news stories. Did you just yell Sagu? Sagu. Sagu. Well, we're going to our next news story. And this one is, you know, just going to might leave a bad taste in your mouth. Um, Some of you may remember the man known as Dean Cain, once known as Superman, now known as Ignorant Asshole. Um, (laughs) Dean Cain went and put his ignorant foot in his mouth again and decided to go on the old Fox News channel. There's your first hint. And critique the latest Captain America comic series. Uh, He went on to quote, his quotes were that he loves the concept of Captain America, but I am so tired of this wokeness and Um, (laughs) anti-Americanism. In my opinion, America is the greatest country in history. It's not perfect. We are constantly striving for more, more perfect union, way to quote this. But I believe she's the most fair, equitable country anyone's ever seen. And that's why people are clamoring to get here from all over the globe. Uh, and he continues to attack. I know Amy's face says it all. Eddie's falling asleep. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's it's, it's interesting for the man who who once held the role. Who of was what was for the epitome, years? Who well who once because it just that whole series was interesting. I'm wearing the like shirt who, right now. I'm wearing the exactly. Superman shirt as we speak. Who held the role of what was epitomized in comic books as the American dream? Mm-hmm is now kind of speaking out against what everything that stood for. It's kind of ironic seeing as his whole career has just been going spiraling down. In fact, I think he's now made his way into B-movies. No, he's not even uh, in B-movies. Oh, he's, Hallmark he's, he, has, has revoked his pass. He's looking yeah. for a Ben Shapiro-produced work. That's what he's looking for. Oh. With the, with the there Toronto. you go. See? That's what it is. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's, it's staggering to me. Uh, first off, a guy who owes whatever acting success he had to a comic book character, mm-hmm. for one, uh, to then go on and ignorantly say this when... Uh, he went on to say something about how the Captain America comics, this comic, this called a, the United States of Captain America. Which is the, the anthology that we spoke about where it's taking in different Captain Americas and it started with Captain America of the Railway, which mm-hmm. was, if I remember correctly, he was a... He was fighting for disenfranchised and runaway homeless youth. Mm -hmm. And this fool is like, well, that's not my Captain America. Well, yeah, I hate to piss in your your Cheerios, homie, but he was never your captain to begin (laughs) with. No, never was. He made the comment of Captain America being 
too political. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Captain America has been political <laughs> since day one. Yep. Remember when he punched Hitler in the face? I was we were just going to say. We were an isolationist country and he punched Hitler in the face. When he's fought homegrown extremists and domestic terrorists. When and he's, continues to? When he continues to. When he's dropped the shield out of frustration with the government and or the nation plenty mm-hmm. of times. Because oh, he's but, still oh, a but human. They'll, they'll praise him, though, when he he lays down his shield to salute the firefighters who are clearing the rubble That's okay. during the 9-11. That's okay. That's okay. That's all right. And, you know, and, but, and not to mention that all the Captain Americas have been political. It's mm-hmm. Steve Rogers... Bucky Barnes, hello, Sam Wilson has mm-hmm. dealt with his political issues in his in the story. So politics has always been a part of the Captain America character. The guy's name is Captain America. And yep. things will get political when that's your name. It, it, it's an idiotic defense. Well, and if you take you take guy. the fact that the head of the organization, Stan Lee, has made several opportunities to explore those types of conversations within mm-hmm. social settings, mm-hmm. whether if it's racism, whether if it's political, you know, uh, dis, you know, just disenfranchised organizations, things where it's just not the status quo. Him bringing to attention the things that are upsetting what this nation stood for. Yep. Stanley has made every attempt to make sure, even using his own words, to state that he is somebody who who bats for those types of people, the minorities, those mm-hmm. that are that are, uh, you know, beaten down, those that are, are persecuted. That's what he stood for. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's no surprise that one of the flagship characters of that organization happens to have things to say when it comes to those people who are persecuted within this nation, mm-hmm. or at least giving representation to that. Yep. And considering that I'm going to use this also as the SIGU, because I have a little bit of some news stories to throw at you too. Oh. Um, this oh, is boy. even if we start talking about the the multiverse because Marvel in Phase Four is going to be exploring. There is a Captain Assyria in a multiverse. So guess where he where his base mm-hmm. is? Uh, Manhattan. Mm-hmm. It <laughs> doesn't matter. You washed up has been of a man. You You're know, not ever, even a yeah. man. Ever since he played Scott Peterson, there's just been an eerie oh feeling with him. That's oh my exactly, gosh. literally, That's... I think that was the moment where I was like, and you're done. Things changed. Like, bye. He played Scott Peterson, things changed. And we probably would be defending him. I, I, allegedly. Alle- I got to say allegedly, <sighs> or else, I don't know, Rudy Giuliani oh. comes after me or something. Uh, <laughs> it hurts so. looking at this story because it shows the 90s pictures of him and Terry Hatcher and Lois and Clark. And I'm like, eh. You're not him anymore. I mean, no offense, but I mean, when you start finding your ways into movies like uh, God's Not Dead and in movies that have strong conservative, not even just Christian focus, but conservative, Mm -hmm. like undertones, not even undertones, they just say it out loud. They're blatant, yeah. Yeah. Then you start putting yourself in a position to have to hold this belief or these set of morals or immorals. Mm -hmm. So that you can make sure that you don't look like an idiot after the fact. We're like, oh, well, you did this and you did that. Like, mm-hmm. he's keeping up with appearances in all the wrong ways. Yep. Plain and simple. Uh, as someone who I had my Tony Stark Bucky Barnes moment like 10 years ago because I was on the opposite side. That the side that Dean seems to be on now and seeing this shit. It makes me both cringe and laugh at the same time. Cringe that I was once over there and laugh that I'm no longer there. Um, it, it just, it, it just, it's an ignorant statement. This shows the guy knew nothing about the comic characters he played, uh, knows nothing about being Cal L or, uh, Kara's father, which he did play in Supergirl for That's the first, right. the first season the or two. The first season of Supergirl. Yeah. He was her dad and it just shows that he didn't give a it shit just shows, about it. It just shows that he was in it for a paycheck. Plain and simple. That's he it. already it. knew. Doesn't believe at all the characters he plays. And, of course, he talked to Fox News and the Washington Times. Washington Times is, of course, a conservative beacon of yep. news. So there's uh, there's my downer. Maybe I should have gone with Jeffrey Dean Morgan after Dean Cain instead of before. Well, I, right. have, I have some some uppers and Amy, not in the pills version. Give us some uppers, please. <laughs> give in oh, some uppers. So uh, the first one I'm going to do is just for the giggles. So it's come out <laughs> after – For all of those giggles. So, of course, today, um, at the time of this recording, the What If official trailer from Disney Plus has Mm -hmm. come out. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, I have seen snips. I have not seen the full thing. It it was a long day at work. It happens. But 
and this makes me super giggle. Um, <laughs> somebody tweeted oh. to Disney Plus and Marvel about maybe uh, directing a reboot. Oh. Um, about a particular duck. Again. Oh. <laughs> Anyone want to take a stab at it? So we're talking about Howard, um, yes. We're talking about Don- Howard. We're talking about, we're talking about Howard. Donald. <laughs> Don- Donald. And a Huey certain Dewey director. Lewin. A certain Daffy. director said he wanted no, to No, no, no. A certain, a certain person. Oh. It's not even a director. Oh. Talking they about had, Seth Green? No. Hmm. Let's see. You, you want to clue us in? <laughs> I don't know. I was waiting to see Martin if Martin Scorsese. That would be amazing, but <laughs> no. Total 180 on his statement two years ago. Christopher Nolan. No, oh. so Sophia Lee Thompson. Coppola. Oh. Oh. Wait. The one from the original Back to the Future Howard Mom. the Duck. She Back was in Howard the, the Duck. Yeah. She was. Oh, so my she God. She was the one who was about to get freaky with the duck. Yes, she was. Exactly. And it was, so come she on, mentioned in 2018. I mean, come on. She had mentioned mm-hmm. in 2018 that she would love to get that opportunity. And then when after seeing the What If trailer, she straight up tweeted. And she's like, hashtag, I love my duck. Hashtag, what if I direct the reboot at Marvel? And I'm like, girl, that's great. Like, that's just weirdly great and so quirky. So that's the first one. It made, it made at least it made a Steve's laugh and slightly cry. You look like you're about to cry. I, I'm, ha- I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> That's I I don't I don't know. <sighs> like okay, I'm all for Leah Thompson giving anything a good whack and trying to <laughs> uh, and trying to make the reboot. I just I don't think I've seen enough of her recent work to know if it'll fit with the modern MCU. I mean, in in it's a it's a great um, you know it, it's a great unique piece of news. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know. Oh, it was great. Then that's the point of we're clearing out the bad taste of you know, somebody Dean else. Kane can kiss my philosopher inks. So. Okay. You know so what they say. He's... You're out of luck until you've gone duck. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and then my the first one, ever and last ever time I saw duck boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the Guardians 2 quote in the first one. Why did you lick your mouth like that? Gross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love his quotes in this Guardians film. Um, that's pretty much all of them. It burns going. Was, and also, <laughs> can we talk about how in Guardians he looked great? Yeah, like it was you so ugh, yeah, so good. At holding okay. a machine gun in uh, Endgame. Yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs> he's he's in the Endgame scene. I, I'm pretty a- sure there's some like some deleted scene where he actually has a quippy line. <laughs> he has to have one. Probably. I should have had a drink before this. <laughs> something. <laughs> so, following a little bit on that Marvel train, of course, mm-hmm. at the time of this episode. Um, Episode five of Loki has come out. I will not spoil it mm-hmm. for everyone in there. But speaking of somebody that should be showing up in Ant-Man and the Wasp, um, Quantum Mania, Jonathan Majors. Yes. Has, you know, he's supposed, he is Lovecraft. signed on as king mm-hmm. and Lovecraft country. Mm-hmm. Um, he actually had gone down to, um, oh my gosh, I actually have to look it up. Golden Apple. Golden Apple Comics in Los Angeles. They have okay. an R2-D2 where... Lots of famous people come in. They, if they're studying for roles, much like Benedict Cumberbatch did with Doctor Strange, they go in, they buy their comics, they sign R2-D2. Well, this has been very interesting because he took a photo holding up uh, Avengers number 267, which has Kang on the cover, and then signed R2-D2 with Kang underneath his name. And so Golden Apple Comics was super duper excited about this. They plastered it all over their Instagram. And I'm just going to say I'm really excited to see uh, another fantastic actor taking on an amazing villain mm-hmm. in phase four. Mm-hmm. Are, are you are you trying to be sly with your wording there? No. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I am not just, sly. Just, I'm just saying because you're, you're, you're tiptoeing acro- around something. In hey, terms down of here a- is our time. Calm down. I think I'm onto something. <laughs> No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Golden Apple Comics is a great one. Support your local comic book store. If you have the time and you're in the Sacramento area, please go ahead and swing by Empire's Comics Vault, located 1120 Fulton Avenue. Sweet Hey, You got to luck K. until you've gone duck. <laughs> or pug. Or pug. Um, oh, my god. Ben gosh. has actually been able to Do keep Do not the... touch those dogs, please. Hey! <laughs> Rolly and Dylan are, are like time-honored well, traditions of this Ben store. would have a really big fit if you decided to go pug. 
in his take jobs. <laughs> oh, okay, no. I wasn't going there. Thank you. That's what you said. Betty. I'm just saying what you said. Oh, yeah, now I just realized my error. Okay, I'm an optimist. <laughs> ben has been able actually to keep the lights on and the comics and the hot sauce flowing this mm. entire pandemic. So, of course, please swing by and see our crazy Uncle Ben, as Doc likes to call him. Um, pick you up some last Ronin comics. Pick yes. you up some of the new horror stuff that came out. Yes. Um, anything coming out of the house of Marvely Mouse or DC. Definitely DC Black and Black Label. Label. Thanks. You're welcome. Um, and, of course, our indie comic creators definitely go support your local comic book store. So that is my... Spiel. Well done. Well said. Yay. Plenty of hard the duck quotes. <laughs> and then not knows, enough. Did you know Seth Green was the voice of Hard the Duck in Guardians? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just I just looked, I never looked that up before. I'm like, oh, all right, Seth. Oh, really? <laughs> I see I see you, Seth. Okay. Hey. All right. Still got a hand in in, in, uh, in the industry. He's still doing something out there. Outside of robot chicken. All right. That concludes our news segment. And now yeah. we move on to the main topic of our show tonight, and that is to honor the great filmmaker himself, Mr. Richard Donner. Uh, Richard Donner, of course, is well known to us in the comic world because he is the man responsible for bringing the Man of Steel Mm -hmm. to the big screen with the Christopher Reeve film, uh, along with Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando and Margot Kidder and so many others. Christopher Uh, Reeves? uh, Yeah, Christopher Reeves. A movie where... (laughs) I'm like, there's someone else in there. That one, yeah. And <laughs> funny enough, important. how he only had the third uh, billing in that movie. How Marlon Brando and Gene Hackman had top billing over Christopher Reeve. Um, he did go on, Richard Donner went on to direct most of Superman 2 until he was fired. And Richard Lester came in to finish the job. But most of that movie <laughs> is Donner's vision. And Donner would go on to be responsible for so many other Legendary uh, classic films like The Goonies, which was written by Steven Spielberg. Never uh, say die. Never say die. Goonies never say die. Uh, he is the man behind the camera for all four Lethal Weapon films. Mm-hmm. Never seen him. Never. He never saw any Lethal Weapon. I like that both of you. I like <laughs> Good night, everybody. One hangs dead. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> the other's like. <laughs> we're ending this show now. Um, you never again. There are four Lethal Weapons. You haven't seen any of them. None of no. them. It was it was pre crazy Mel Gibson when when it was mm-hmm. hidden. By the way, we we kind of missed over a couple other folks in that Superman. Like Lotso, Lotso Bear is in uh, Superman. Right. Yes, you're, of Beatty. course, Ned Beatty. Yes, Ned, Ned Beatty. And then Terrence Stamp, Mr. Who played Ger- General Zod. General Zod. So just Mr. Luto, Mr. Luto, Mr. Smoker gets a city. Why don't I get a city? Um, <laughs> yes, uh, Donner went on to direct uh, the Weapon franchise. Yep. He directed Maverick. Which, yeah. those of you wondering, that's why my screen name on Zoom is Brett Maverick. That was Mel Gibson's mm-hmm. character in Maverick there. I thought I'd yeah. choose a lesser known name there. I uh, went on to direct Conspiracy Theory and movie. went on to produce the X-Men films, including the X-Men films. He produced and Free it. Willy. And, and Free the Willy. Lost Boys. And the Lost Boys, Sexy yes. Sex Man. Yes. <laughs> yes. The, 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 the crazy thing about Richard Donner is that Richard Donner was this unassuming Film, uh, TV show director. He had uh, he was the showrunner for a few series that were back in the seventies and the sixties. Uh, he even uh, was the director behind one of the more famous episodes in the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. One of the most famous episodes, yeah, we which is kind of there's nightmare at twenty thousand feet, there's which had a young William Shatner something on the of this plane, which was great thing. And then, yeah. of course, Jordan Peele gave homage to it in mm-hmm. the in the. Re- I don't even want to call it a reboot or a remake. Reimagine. It's just like the reimagined. Hey, that's perfect for the new. It's almost Twilight. like this guy knows how to talk in a podcast. I know something. It's like, almost like he he's has. tried to do his own reimagining of screenplays that haven't been sold yet. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood, call me. Please. It's also that is also the epi- the one Twilight ep- Twilight Zone episode that we know that. Doc, Dr. Barry, is just absolutely terrified of, mm-hmm. um, and he has never recovered from. So kudos, Richard yeah. Donner. Well, my and problem mention- is whenever I reenact that scene, I end up doing the Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura scene when he's yeah, spoofing Shatner, and I can't do the Shatner version. Go ahead, Eddie. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to say, and, and and the great thing about that episode is that it was it has been reimagined in just about every form of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows, just like what you, uh, Steve was saying about Jim Carrey 
uh, mimicking William Shatner in that role. You've had everything from The Simpsons reenacting that with Bart Simpson and the uh, during the Treehouse of Horrors episodes. Mm-hmm. You have, like we were saying, the reimagining with Jordan Peele and his version of the Twilight Zone episodes. Um, every single variation of it just continues to honor the creativity and the ingenuity of somebody like Richard Donner building out that episode and the tension and the and the wonderfulness. Like I, I see a lot of that those elements in what he did with one of my favorite films which was uh, The Omen back in 1976. Yes. The Omen was a was such a far-fetched idea that creating a film based it's all around for you, Damien. Exactly. It's all for you. And and you That's do you do a film like that. The only thing I've seen of that movie is literally that sequence with the, the with her on It's all for you, Damien. <laughs> it's a it's all for you. And I'm just like, "Ah!" <laughs> no. And, and the fact that you had somebody like Richard Donner go from The Omen in 1976 to Superman in 1978 and you're it's like, "All right, switch. this guy's got range." Right? Um, exactly. The, the the Richard Donner uh because I I had recently posted a a, a quote on uh Ma, on the Philosophers Twitter page. And one of the things I had mentioned was, you know, he is the man who took all of our dreams, made them real, and then shared them for all of us to see. All of us here have different aspects in terms of uh, our favorite types of, of mediums, whether if it's, you know, comic books or whether if it's movies, TV, whatever it may be. Richard Donner had a hand in shaping how we see that now. Mm-hmm. During the 70s, a lot of horror that came out around that time was mostly foreign. It was from overseas. It was Italian horror. Or you had Hammer films, uh, the Hammer horror films. Richard Donner coming in and creating this movie and then continuing to pursue, not being pigeonholed in the one thing and continuing to pursue other aspects of that creative world, um, such as comic books or even fantasy. Um, you have somebody who is not only showing the limitless uh, limitlessness of his uh, ingenuity, but also his willingness to go that far outside of the bo- outside of the mold, mm-hmm. um, because I mean, for all of us super eighties nerds, you know, you got things like Lady Hawk in nineteen eighty five with a really ridiculous. young Matthew so Broderick, mm-hmm. young Matthew Broderick, and and uh, and, and Rudger Hauer, Rudger Hauer in one of his first roles. I mean, Rudger Hauer goes on to be this amazing actor later on as his career goes, but yep. giving him that one opportunity in Lady Hawk as well as Matthew Broderick and bringing something to the table that was still not really fully accepted, but then you created something magical to where all of us nerds now and most of the world now, thankfully to Ready Player One, now know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think it's we can earnestly say that Richard Donner helped create the basis of what our nerd foundation is. Well, oh, yeah. and I would love to, to say that also that it's kind of been acknowledged that the way that he took on comic book heroes, he played it straight. He didn't go, oh, we're gonna we're gonna camp this up. There was a sincerity. There's and you can see it in the way that his films are done. That there's a sincerity, there's an earnesty, and there's a respect for not just the genre, but for the material, which I can easily say has inspired so many other directors that have been able to see his films and to do the work. Like, for crying out sakes, Brian Singer with those X-Men movies, as much as you could camp that up, and there are spaces where it is pretty campy, mm-hmm. it is still respected. Mm-hmm. The The comic book material is still honored, and that's something that is a, such a great legacy and an inspiration to pass on to other directors. The, the, the fact that when he took on Superman and... From what I remember with the George Reeves show, that show rarely ever delved into Krypton or his yeah. history. It was just Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. The fact that when he made this movie and you right off the bat, you're on Krypton, you aren't being you're, you're not having your hand held. You are right there in the center of how Krypton does things, the way they dress, the way their their crystals work, the judge and jury and executioners, the whole system they have. You're just mm-hmm. thrown right into it. That's your first half hour of the movie. 20, 30 minutes of the movie is Krypton. Yeah. And he just gave it to you. This is the Superman story. This is how it goes. It's it's the Moses story. We're not going to go right to Clark Kent. You're going to see where Cal yeah. L comes from. Here's his dad, Jor-El. And some of those shots are so beautiful. Um, the, the, the ones that stick out to me the most are when – Young Clark Kent, after he's found the green crystal, and he tells his mom that he has to go. 
and it's followed with this crystal sets and they hug and the camera is like behind them from far away and slowly starts to get closer to them as the John Williams score plays up. It is a beautiful shot scene. And I want to say the Superman and Lois show on CW cap tries to capture those same moments with their sweeping shots of the farm. Mm -hmm. And it's done the same style. It just still gives me chills the way this scene plays out. It's that scene. And then it's the scene where, again, they dared to take us to a point where, what if Superman failed? What if he saved everyone except the one he loves the most? Yeah. When he pulls Lois, a lifeless Lois, out of the car, and the, the John Williams barely has a score playing at that time, just very mm -hmm. light music. Kal-El holding her, the face on Christopher Reeves, just destroyed, lays her down, and the camera then takes a step back. And you see, like, in the middle of the frame, you see Superman, you see Lifeless Lois, you see the car, you see the landscape. And it's just a very, like, sad, like, uh, awake or a funeral moment of Superman just there. And it just shows you different yeah. shots. And they they make you – it doesn't go quick. You you earn this. You are sitting in Superman's pain right now. It's just the camera goes back on Reeve's face and Reeve, the talented actor that he is, the cry – and that yell he gives before he flies out, that yell scared me as a kid because it shows me Superman just heartbroken and angry. And to this day, because we showed the boys Superman the day that Richard Donner died, we played the movie. That scene still gives me goosebumps, still raises the hair on my arms when he makes that yell and goes flying out to you know, involve himself in a human history, which he's not supposed to. But he doesn't give a shit. He's breaking the rule for Lois. Mm -hmm. Love that whole moment. It, 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 they, he took you in his in our first big comic book movie. Richard Donner took you there, took yeah. you there emotionally, before Superman saves the day. Yeah, it's 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 pretty plain to see. Like directors like Richard Donner, there his impact is seen all over the place. Not just within cinema itself, but even with the people who create cinema. I mean, like you were talking about, Richard Donner making the choice to show what Krypton looked like, giving that opportunity to visualize it, make it real, make it tangible. And then obviously showing us things like the, the uh, uh, Fortress of Solitude mm -hmm. um, and being able to give you a visual representation of what this place looks like. That's We've read about, people have read about for years in the comic books and giving it a physical look. Um, and then knowing people like Zack Snyder, who did the exact same thing, giving us that homage back to what Richard Donner did with the first film mm -hmm. in Man of Steel mm -hmm. and showing us his version of Krypton. And not just his version of Krypton, but then his Fortress of Solitude, what the tech looked like. Mm -hmm. things like. Things like that that allowed us to not only cheer for our hero, but empathize with our hero. Yep. Because we see not only who this man is as a, as a god— but also as a human mm -hmm. in, in uh, with human emotions that we can relate to. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, that's a thing that is really, really difficult to do when you have incredible uh, characters, you have incredible heroes, you have incredible uh, uh, people in these books who are supposed to be like the, like the name says men of steel or women of steel. Mm -hmm. And then you make the opportunity to humanize them. So that way we can have that one connection to say, I know what that feels like. I know what loss feels like, and I'm looking at Superman, who is dealing with loss right in front of me as he loses the woman that he loves and chooses to do whatever it takes, even turning back time to save the woman he cares about. It is forbidden to interfere. Yeah. Just hear Doriel's voice, and then you hear his dad, Jonathan Kent. I just believe, son, you're put here for a reason. The two dads conflicting with their yeah. messages to their to their son. Uh, and And then, I mean... Years later, he goes from Superman to a bunch of adventuring young boys who just want to find One-Eyed Willie's treasure. Yep. <laughs> and then exactly. It takes a Spielberg idea. Spielberg writes the story, and then he gives us a Spielberg tale with a Richard Donner vision. Mm. And it, the Goonies is, I mean, it, it's it's Indiana Jones for kids, uh, younger yep. kids. It, it's my my boys watch it; they love it. It, it. it and of course, his little shout out. As being the Superman director by putting a Superman shirt on, on, on Sloth. Sloth. Yeah. <laughs> they even playing the John Williams score at that exactly. moment. Exactly. Yep. Uh, Josh Brolin's first role, by the way, 
first mm-hmm. ever role, Goonies, and he had to audition for it. Imagine your last name's Brolin, but you still got to audition. Um, mm-hmm. He gives us that. He does the Cindy Lauper music video. Uh, mm-hmm. The Goonies are good enough. And then he gives us, again, showing his range, goes to do Scrooged and Lethal Weapon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he Which- then, he gives us the beginning of one of the greatest buddy cop action movies of all time. And quoted a, all the time. Quoted yep. all the time. And a very dark comedy version of The Christmas Carol with Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> Which shows, like, going back to his range, you you take something like Lethal Weapon, you have two cops, one's about, you know, one's the 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 straight nose, kind of the hard-nosed straight man with uh, with his job, Danny Glover. And then you get somebody like Mel Gibson, who, in the movie... Plays this off the wall kind of just kooky cop who's got mental issues. Obviously, exactly that scene, <laughs> and and you put them together and you create something. And and mind you, looking at you know when Lethal Weapon was done in 1987, I mean, you had this was around the beginning times of you know the the racial tensions within places like L.A., places like Oakland. You had uh, you know Run DMC, and you had all these different artists you know uh, trying to come about it and create something new and it was getting pushed back. And then the Reagan era was coming in. You you had all these types of, of mentalities that were just against the, the flow of progress. And then you give Richard Donner the opportunity to create a buddy cop movie and you pit a white guy who's totally off as a rocker Vietnam and an African-American cop. Issues. And then, yeah. Exactly. And an African-American. And you make them work because of the uh, just the exquisite direction and the wonderful writing that lasts, like we said, for like four movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's only somebody who, like the genius of Richard Donner, is capable of doing. He, he's a part of that year of when action heroes are starting to look more human and not mm-hmm. yoked monsters. That was the year. Yeah. Of, that was the year of Die Hard as well. John mm-hmm. McClane, and then they got Riggs and Murtaugh. And while Riggs is the big action hero, he's not the big yoked one. He's he's you mm-hmm. know a lean guy. And that moment that they also have because. Riggs, spoiler for people who haven't watched Lethal Weapon, Riggs lost his wife and he's having some very emotional PTSD moments. And there's that scene where it's Riggs at home with a picture of his wife and a loaded gun. And it it's this – again, we all know he's crazy now. But before he went crazy, Mel Gibson was one of the mm-hmm. best actors in Hollywood, yeah. period. Uh, for his range, of, his emotional range, and, and, and I and I think it's I think it's just safe to say that Richard Donner brought out the best in him. Yes, just you're right, plain and simple. Just that moment of him on the couch holding the gun and considering it, and putting the gun in his mouth, and considering pulling the trigger, and just the emotion on Mel's face, mm-hmm. and finally pulls the gun out in tears and says to his wife in the picture, "I'll see you tomorrow," and puts the picture down. It just it was for a movie that is a comedy action mm-hmm. drama. That moment is heart-wrenching it reaches out to people who have had loss who have whether it vietnam vets who saw too much shit or people who've lost significant others they can connect with rigs in that moment and donner puts you right beside rigs on that couch as he's considering this it was and talking about range i mean when because we're going to be using that word a lot range because of the fact that this man has range if you were to just, if this movie didn't exist and you were to pitch that movie now, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put these two kooky guys. One of them's a little bit, you know, of, a, of a, the straight man. He's, you know, an African-American guy who wants to retire Make hopefully one day. a Will Ferrell movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but then if you include the fact that, oh, and I want to include this other character who's white, who's got PTSD. And uh, in one of those scenes, I want to have that in it. I want to put, you know, an emotional scene where he puts a gun to his mouth while holding his wife's picture. You pitch that nowadays. And you won't be able probably to find a director who can manage that type of emotional range mm-hmm. like Richard Donner. Because mm-hmm. it goes from that to something else zany in that movie. And it doesn't, it doesn't seem off-putting. It just goes with that flow of the character pro- uh, progression in the film. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I, I, uh, going from Lethal Weapon, he and, and we did say that uh, Richard Donner was the man who kind of brought out the best in well he brings out the best in everyone i mean christopher christopher reeve was that was his second film that he had ever created mm, in or yeah. uh, it started in 1978 yep. and he became a household name mm-hmm. um not just because you know he attended juilliard but because 
Donner gave him such space and supported who he was as an actor to thrive. I have always and forever will say that he is my Clark Kent. As much as he is Superman, he embodies everything that I love about Clark Kent. And it was so easy and effortless to see, which is such an honor to be able to, as as being a kid when I first saw the first Superman and going, oh my gosh, not only was he like mild-mannered, he balanced in such a great place where the transitions were were seamless. The what I, I vividly remember not just the way the texture, like the light, how they diffused it, but when he gets out of the Daily Planet and he's running and he's got his hat and his glasses and he's trying to get to the phone booth. Yeah, and it's and it's built so seamlessly mm-hmm. that you feel that excitement, you feel the tension, and Christopher's playing it so wonderful. But Donner is following and supporting and building Mm -hmm. and his style of how he shoots and what he sees with his eye translates into all these other movies that he's had his hand in. I specifically remember it too in Goonies with the way some of the sweeping and even if he's not using that diffused light, you see it, you Mm. keep seeing it. And then the funny thing is when he was producing, I still saw it in Lost Boys. I saw mm-hmm. it in X-Men. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I know you're here. I know yeah, you're yeah. here, Richard he, Donner. Where he, are you? He and Spielberg had that tendency of, even though they're just producing a movie, you see tidbits of their style mm-hmm. of that director in there. And yeah. Donner had it also. And when you bring up the scenes, the way they shoot the scene when Reeve, uh, his Clark Kent, considers telling Lois that he's Superman, how he goes from slouched, looking at his glasses to Lois... There's something I have to tell you. And then, mm-hmm. and then just, and then back to, and you see her in the mirror and you can see that she's not even looking at him as she's walking back. Yeah. She's still in her days of having flown with Superman. It was the visual there is fantastic. And, and with Richard Donner, it seemed so effortless into tapping into that world of childlike creativity and imagination because you, you take obviously things like Lethal Weapon. We mentioned that with like the harder scenes um, in those. You know, in that particular film, but then you go to things like Goonies, where the 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 underground caves and the traps and everything, booby twaps, quiet the, the booby twaps, yeah. <laughs> they're, I love they're, it. Sorry, Dana. It's, it's like if the kid, if it's like if you gave a kid an opportunity to create a a underground tunnel full of of booby twaps <laughs> and allowed them to to decorate it the way they wanted. Richard Donner had a great way of tapping into that easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then also let's talk about the Fratellis and oh, the the interaction with the interrogation with Chunk and Mama, like, I think I like this kid. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's so well done and you see I don't wear a hairpiece. <laughs> but you see and you see it's it's some of it's some of those movies that I remember even watching now, I yeah. still get those same feelings just like you and the goosebumps. I just get mm-hmm. that the tightness of the little bit of the anxiety. And even though I know it's going to be okay, it is just so well shot, so well yeah. acted. Mm-hmm. And the story carries so much support that it's timeless. And I think yeah. that's probably the best way that we can talk about Richard Donner as a director is not only the legacy that he's left, but the timelessness of what he's brought to people. When you start yeah. talking about movies from the late 70s and the 80s, you talk about yeah. Superman, you talk about the Goonies, you talk about Lost Boys. I don't talk about Lethal Weapon, those you guys, but it's uh, but, okay. But in that like, same uh, instance, I mean, you, you you also mentioned things like Scrooge. Scrooge redefined how we saw Christmas movies mm-hmm. normally. I mean, everybody's seen A Christmas Carol. There's like a million iterations of yep. it throughout. But then you take something like his variation with Bill Murray in a modern day setting and it just changes the whole story on its head. And you're like, oh, I, yeah, I remember this. Like, these movies still hold up till today. Like Amy mm-hmm. said, they're timeless because they still engage. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a mindset where you're like, oh, I've already seen this gag too many times. Or I've already, I'm done watching these ones. Or I, I've outgrown that. No, I still watch Scrooge during the holidays. <laughs> Same. The Goonies is always a great yeah. film to, to jump into. Um, you know, Lady Hawk is one that you want to watch if you're like, nostalgic for that kind of 80s fantasy. If you want the synth, I mean, it is the sweeping, (laughs) we talk about the sweeping shots that he is known for. Mm -hmm. Lady Hawk carries it in spades. The one thing that just always threw me off is that soundtrack. 
And other than that, it's an amazing story. A young Matthew Broderick jumping down holes to escape yep. castles. And then, you know, literally it's it's Pfeiffer as the hawk. Yeah. And surprise, Lady Hawk. It makes sense. Um, <laughs> And it even is, in the, even in the horror aspect, you you do things like the Omen that has stood the test of time mm-hmm. as being such a unique story mm-hmm. that there are there are riffs on it nowadays. You know, making that making that type of attempt, whether if it's the the child of the devil or the Antichrist, whatever it may be, in child form, people have been have been doing it since that movie came out, showing that it still has relevance even in today's world. Mm-hmm. And with so, Scrooge, with Scrooge, he kind of gave you the go ahead that hey. You can reimagine any old story into whatever genre you want it to be. He took yep. Christmas Carol, this book that's been remade into, of course, a family film, although it still has scary <laughs> moments in it. And yeah. he gives it to Bill Murray and gives it the dark humor treatment, very edgy PG-13. And it's like he's showing you that, hey, you can take any story that's been told and put any twist on it. And if you film it right with the right team, the right cast – it's it's going to succeed and it's going to pay off and his direction of bill murray yeah. in that movie is is fantastic and i wanted to show the range he had already before he even got to superman the tv shows he's directed we talked about twilight zone he did the rifleman he mm-hmm. did uh the man uh the man from uncle gilligan's yep. island perry mason Get smart fbi the banana splits adventure hour the banana splits adventure man did banana hour. splits um, he did. Oh, I thought I saw something. Ironside, uh, the streets of San Francisco, Kojak. He all did the he did the original series. He did a few episodes from the Wild Wild West, the Wild Wild which West. they remade yes. with, Will with Will Smith and uh, Kevin Klein. Yep, his well, range then, was already all over the place before he even got to Kal El. Well, and then even after he got to Kal El, and he went with the Omen. He was executive producer for Tales from the Crypt mm-hmm. and yes. Tales from the Crypt. Keep like he kept going, and it's it's telling that even though I am not a horror fan, that I recognize his not only his style, but I recognize the way he sets things up. Yeah, and it doesn't make me go, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Like it's gr- it's great, mm-hmm. and that is the rain. It it really goes back to the timelessness of his range and his abilities as a creator to come in and to keep doing that. I mean, like he, he's also an executive producer on fracking free Willie. Free Willie. Yeah. Like. <laughs> My hand up right now. There you go. Okay. Sorry. Um, even like he did radio flyer. I used to watch yeah. the movie like crazy when it was on HBO. Uh, Elijah Wood and Joe uh, Mazzella, little Timmy from Jurassic Park. Um, and then I didn't realize this. Maverick, my dad and I loved watching Maverick because my dad used to watch the old 60s show. And mm-hmm. so seeing the reimagining of it with with Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster and having um, – oh, my God. I'm, my name is – he looks like my grandfather. I forget his name all of a sudden. Your grandpapa. Just uh, he's your grandpapa. My grandpa. James Garner. Thank you, James Garner. Yes, grandpapa. Wow, all the times I've known his name. The one time I need to say it on the show, um, grandpapa James Garner. Um, <laughs> Maverick was great. I didn't realize because I've always referred to it as a Wachowski's movie. Mm. They wrote it. Assassins with Stallone and Antonio yep. Banderas. And Wachowski's Antonio wrote it. Yeah. Donner directed that movie. Oh, uh, known of course for the great gif of Antonio Banderas looking at the computer. It's like. Mm. Uh, yes. <laughs> we use all over the place. Leaning back. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. But his yeah. last his last five movies that he directed, uh, Assassins was in 95, Conspiracy Theory in 97 with Mel Gibson and Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. Um, Lethal Weapon 4, the one time that Jet Li has ever been a bad guy and that you hate him is that movie right there. <laughs> Lethal Weapon 4, Lethal Jet Li's a bad four. guy. Yep, that was Jet Li's... Intro to the United States was as the bad guy in Lethal Weapon 4. And Amy, he's a good bad guy. And that's why you hate him. But he's such he's a good guy, which means, like, Ooh. I love him and everything, which means that I know seeing him mm. as a bad guy is going to make me hate him and love him simultaneously. Oh, like, yeah. He, no. had the, he knew what he was doing with the looks he gave. And the, yep. Oh, yeah. Bad guy. Um, and then he did a adaptation of the Michael Crichton book, Timeline. Timeline. Which starred Paul yeah. Walter. I saw that. Mm-hmm. 
And that his was final, crazy. Steve Zane. Yeah. Steve Zane, yep. And his final direction was 16 Blocks with Bruce Willis and Mose Def, which uh, was a very cool action movie. Bruce Willis is a cop who has to get this um, his, this uh, a convict. Witness. Wit- a witness, excuse me, witness to the courthouse before the assassins, who the cops who want him dead. Because the, the witness has intel about what the cops did, dirty, a dirty kill. And so they're trying to kill this witness. And Bruce Willis is this cop on the, uh, I think he was retired or about to retire, who is trying to get him these 16 blocks to the courthouse mm. before these guys get to him. Really well he's, done. He's about to retire. About to retire. Really cool movie. Bruce Willis walking like a high and tight haircut and a mustache. With a mustache. <laughs> it's yeah. weird, but it was good. He did a good job in it. Um, but yeah, Donner, whether it was a comedy, action, comic book, drama, horror, horror. kept you glued to the screen. He kept yeah. you glued to what you're watching. You cared about the characters you were watching, whether they were Kal-El, Riggs and Murtaugh. Or, the Antichrist. Or, or the Antichrist <laughs> or Chunk and Mouth. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he cared about the characters Ow. he gave you. I still love to talk about Goonies because the two minds that meet in that, Spielberg and Donner, it's just, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Uh, anything else we got to say about uh, the great Richard Donner? Dick I, I, Donner, I think as his friends called him? Or Dick. I, I, they called him Dick. Uncle Dick. Uncle Dick. Oh my gosh. I think it's, I think it's safe to say that uh, the cinema world is, even though it's going to suffer very much for losing such a colossal titan in the industry, it's safe to say that his works won't ever be forgotten nope. by people like us, by uh, people in the industry, people who know his impact and live it out daily, whether uh, by their own uh, performances, by their own works, or even just by word of mouth talking about how much he has changed the game with every single thing he has put his name to. Um, it's safe to say that he will continue to live on in every single work that even tries to give honor, even in the slightest, to something that is monumental in the pop culture world still today. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is unfortunate that we have lost him. Thankfully, it's people like us who are now tasked with the wonderful and dutiful job of making sure others don't forget. Very well said. Very well said. And if for some reason uh, you haven't seen these, Superman... The Goonies, the entire Lethal Weapon franchise, are all available currently on HBO Max. So you can actually catch at least one, two, three, four, five, six Richard Donner films on HBO Max. Uh, yeah. They're waiting for you. Well, and I was like, let's also, I, I think you said it best, Eddie, but in Stranger Things, the wave of Stranger Things phenomenon was inspired by the Goonies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, like, yeah. And it and it just keeps keeps snowballing. It keeps going, and yeah, it's mm-hmm. our privilege to be able to continue to share his legacy. For, for every for every muscle headed uh, freak out there who wears the Superman shirt and says, "Hey, you guys," well, I, you know, I, feel, I feel attacked. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I am literally currently wearing a Superman shirt, and if you are pretty you muscular. Been... So, and I try. <laughs> I, I try. I try. Um, Shirt's like I, ten years old. I think uh, I think um, all of us here just want to wish, uh, give our condolences to the Donner family and just make sure that they know and everyone else out there that knows uh, or that's listening to this know that uh, we deeply and, and with all respect and honor uh, continue to remember the Richard Donner name and everything he has done and put his name towards and has dreamed up. And uh, that goes back to what I was saying is that, you know what? I am thankful as a philosopher to see all of his dreams be materialized in ways that he was so willing to share and give out to the world so that way we as humans know that even men of steel cry. Nice. Well said. Oh, well dang. said. And that's why he is the philosopher right there. <laughs> you can't top that. You can't. I, that, I think he kind of stole your 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 final thunder. I, Usually, I'm when you speechless. quote something, you uh, can't. I can't. I'm not going to quote it. Um, <laughs> that concludes our discussion on Richard Donner. Uh, beautifully said by everyone here, including, of course, Eddie, with that final statement there. Um, not with us tonight, of course, is the great doctor David Barry and 
son of Mander, Man, Super Manderson, whatever his name is now, Manderson, <laughs> uh, couldn't be here today with us. So we send our, our, our love to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thank you all for listening to us, the Capeless Crusaders, Crusaders. If I could say our show right, that'd be great. The eh. Capeless Crusaders. Again, please like, subscribe, and leave a review for our show as well as Nerd on the Podcast. Uh, until our next episode, I am here to tell you that I never lie, Lois. Never lie. This is the Azorian one, Anthony Steves, and I am joined by... The uh, one and only Amelia Amy, and then guesting with us tonight all the way from their super <laughs> fortress of solitude. Oh, I don't know. Sure, I'm, we'll take it. Uh, I am Film Lost Ferretti, and and just a quick shout out if you guys are uh, looking for some movie fun and wanting to hear a couple of episodes out of that, uh, you can check us out at filmlossifers.com, also on uh, Facebook at facebook.com forward slash filmlossifers, and on Instagram and Twitter at filmlossophy101. Beautiful. As always, we are the Capeless Crusaders, and we are not too old for this shit. Hell not. Saying to you, good night. Good night.